It's sort of funny. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the gift of preaching. Uh, in it, we hear the glorious message of salvation, uh, the truth about you, but also the truth about us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And what we're going to uh, look at is Peter's sermon. Last week we had a sort of brief sketch on um, the Holy Spirit. And Sarah Jane Ball, Sarah Jane, can you hear me? Are you, Sarah Jane, is, is she here? I knew you would laugh. I knew you would laugh. Sarah Jane Ball made a very good point about it, it being in the hearers, that God working in the life of the hearer to be able to hear and receive the message and that's what we're going to talk about this week. Last week, we talked about how God speaks, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this week, how God uses the individual to speak the message in a way that is understandable, uh, discernible. Um, there are whole lots of ideas about preaching. I went to a great seminary, theologically speaking, solid place, uh, and I had three different preaching instructors for three different years, and I heard three different ideas on preaching over those three years. Uh, only one of which I felt was, uh, was worth listening to. And um, I have my bias. So, uh, and, but Tim Keller once said, and he's right, uh, your first thousand sermons are going to stink. They'll just be terrible. And that was brought home to me when Alistair McGrath, who was the doctrine tutor and is a full professor at the University of Oxford. I don't know if you know this. There are only about ten full professors at Oxford. Uh, everyone else is either a lecturer or a tutor. And um, Alistair uh, is, is a pretty big deal, and uh, he's ordained. He has two doctorates, and I had him for preaching one year, and he got up and he began to preach a sermon to sort of give us an idea of what, what, where he's coming from. And it was one of the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life. But, like, how do you say, that wasn't good? Um, and it was funny how typically English the whole situation was. We're like, well, that was really nice, but um, I had a little trouble. Uh, so what, no one was really fi- And finally, Alistair started laughing, and he said, I preached this in my first year of ministry. And he said, it's terrible. It's really terrible. And he said, and you know, it's okay to say that sermon is deficient. And so uh, we are going to uh, l- listen to two sermons today. The first one I am going to go ahead and do is... I'm going to play this sermon. It's five minutes, uh, and it's just a snippet of the hour and five minute long sermon. Uh, But it's in the public domain. Uh, It's Emanuel Baptist Church in Oklahoma. It's a fair-sized church. Uh, Jim Standridge is the pastor there, and uh, Dr. Standridge is preaching, and he is um, really um, intent on, oh, no, uh, really intent on, uh-oh, we've already started. Hold on. Where's the volume? Oh, of course. Are you serious? It's it's up. Oh, you're kidding me. It just worked. Okay, this isn't working. Ah! Yeah, hand on the ring finger. Here, wait a minute. I think I might have. I think I've. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. 
I lied. I don't have it. Oh, y'all, this is too bad. This is a real treat. Yes. Well, y'all, I am really sorry. This this stinks. It's supposed to be set up to work already for me. No, it's definitely it's definitely full board. No. Nope. Look, I don't need a lifeguard. I don't need a, a swim coach. I need a lifeguard. Who's gonna? Who will rescue me? Oh, y'all, this is just, you know, you would think that we'd have this stuff. It just worked. Lily can fix it. Um, like now I'm just fiddling with knobs. So this is probably not a good thing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play it on my computer, and I'll, I'll loop it through this. Oh, I don't need y'all. All right, go ahead. All right, let's, let's back it up. Let's see if it works. Just got killed won't do it again, will he? Can y'all hear? And this is a God institution. And you'd be surprised. Don't go to sleep while I'm talking. Hey, hey, hey. Don't, don't, don't you lay your head I'm, I'm important. I'm somebody. Now, you might do your English teacher that way. But I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. Have I convinced you I love you? You better, you better nod your head. Yes, all right. Come on, put it up there. Stay awake and you listen to me. He said, he didn't ever come back. Well, he ain't here now. Well, where have you been? And I know that on the calendar I'm supposed to marry y'all. What makes you think I'd marry you? You're one of the sorriest church members I have. Now, worth 15 cents. And you want me to marry you to her? And you want to marry him, and he don't even know where he belongs, and you don't even know where you belong. Now, uh, let me tell you all about here how much I love these kids. Do you know I love you, sir? Stand up, big boy. Do you know I love you? All right. Give me a little love. I'm a real deal. I know you are, too, but you ain't been here. You can't get this in any other church in town. <laughs> Y'all don't want me. All you got to do is tell me we won't have a church fight because I'll get my little Connie and we'll get in her little Buick Enclave. It's paid for. And we'll sell what we need to sell. And we'll go on down the road and we'll find some little podunk church that don't know up from down. And I'll find me a dozen Joe's baskets who don't have a pot or a window, and who will shout Jesus, and I'll give the rest of my life to them. But I'm not interested in recreating the prostitute of the church. Amen. You remember when I came here, Kelly? You remember where your wife was, where your sisters were? Do you remember where they were? And we made holy war. Do you remember that? Stay with me. Don't quit me. Oh, Brandy. Oh, Brandy's a sweet girl, and she's got her children. Yes, y'all are good, and y'all are fine, but your children will turn on you if you don't hold up the standard and the banner of God. And if they don't turn on you, they'll just 
you'll just produce nice little whirlians. Now, I can relate to this next part. Are y'all keeping the camera on me back there in the little video room? Good. We're having trouble in the video room. There's no one finer than young Cox back there. And he comes down here and spends hours in that thing. But he has a little attitude adjustment that we're going to fix it. Brother Cox, you listening? Brother Cox, I can fix your attitude adjustment. I don't care what your mama thinks and your daddy thinks. And I don't have a better friend than your mama. But, Mama, you get out of my way when I'm messing with that boy because I'm his preacher. I'm yours when I'm talking to you, but I'm his when I'm talking to him. And last I checked, he's a grown man. That video room ain't going to be a youth hangout. We might as well just fix this thing. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Well, if you don't know what you're doing wrong, son, you don't care about what I want to do right. Because if you loved me and you submitted to me, you'd know what my heart is and my message is, and you wouldn't go about establishing your own kingdom in the video room. feel good now. <laughs> okay, that's that's enough. <laughs> Something to look forward to over the next couple of years. Uh, but, um, uh, I think that's an extreme example. And yet, I mean, this is this is real life. They did a couple follow-up um, and needless, uh, the guy that he calls Big Boy and says, I'm, I wouldn't marry you, uh, they did not get married at that church, but that was their decision. They ended up getting up and leaving and, um, and, and not coming back. And the guy that did the interview, uh, it was very, actually very kind. He said, look, he's, he's the pastor, and he can say what he wants, I mean, but I don't have to listen to it. And uh, I thought, good for him for not, not um, belittling him. Okay, so that's, that's one sermon. Now, the thing about that sermon is that... Uh, there were lots of things in there that were, were true, right? There were lots of things in there that, that you, could, uh, you could agree with, I mean, very few things, uh, at some, some level. Like, even if you wanted to stretch it a little bit, like, um, when somebody's not, um, not in church, uh, you do worry about them. Like, I tend to, like, I, it's good when, you know, if, you know, a lot of people don't like people who sit in the same pew over and over and over again. Let me tell you who likes that, preachers, because then we know when you're gone. And, uh, and so we can kind of look... And, and normally it's, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a couple of weeks. And it's not, where are you? But it's sort of like, is everything okay? So that's normally how we handle it around here. Uh, so there's some truth to that. Uh, but uh, never in a million years would I, would I do that, even if I felt it, even if I felt it. So I have a feeling that, that this is not the first, nor is it the last time, that Dr. Uh, Standage really uh, went for it. Um, and, uh, and I just thought... It's a, it's a good-sized church. What in the world, like, why in the world would you 
would you go to a church like that? Now, I want to hold this up as an example of bad preaching. I'm sure you knew that. Uh, as a bad preaching, and that is, uh, it's just really bad. And now we're going to hear another sermon uh, that I, it's not my sermon, it's Peter's sermon. And, uh, and then we're going to sit and we're going to talk about uh, what is good preaching and what is bad preaching. What makes a sermon good and what makes a sermon bad. Uh, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, they were speaking in tongues, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, for you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Uh, Radically different. What are some of the differences that you you see right out of the gate? Scripture. Scripture. Right. So one of the things that St. Peter does in preaching the sermon, he's not preaching from the book of Second Opinion. He's up there and he's saying, uh, it's not just me saying this. Right. It's it's one. It's he's declaring the mighty works of God, the wonders of God, what God is doing in Jesus Christ. But he's not saying this is just my opinion. He's also talking about the fact that it's an eyewitness account. In addition to that, he's talking about the scriptures. He's rooting what he's preaching and and what they already know in the word of God. So he's he's going back to the scripture. What else is different? Bearing witness, this guy was settling scores. 
Right. Okay. So he used it, and um, he this guy used it to settle to settle scores. And it's really hard. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I guess I could get up and say whatever I wanted, uh, right? And uh, and clearly this guy this guy did. Um, I hope they took the offering up before he preached, uh, but but. Uh, yeah, he was settling scores, and uh, so it was all about him and and really nothing about God. And even when he brought God up, the only time he, he brought God up was, uh, well, he said, you're not going to get this at any other church. Like, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, and then in addition to that, the only time he brought God up was when he was talking about raising children. All right, he said, he said, you're, but again, even the, if you, uh, your children will turn on you. He says that immediately out of the gate. Now, when someone says your children, like if that's the first thing I hear, I'm like, dear, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what? I mean, I, I have one child that might shiv me. I mean, but uh, uh, I, I check under the mattress every night before we go to bed. And, uh, but, uh, but, I mean, the way he, he makes it sound like this, you know, they're going to really, they're going to organize against you. Right? They're going to be the Northwestern football team. And they're going to organize and they're going to turn college football on its head. Right, they're going to do that. Uh, and, but, then he says if, but then he said something like, but you have to hold fast and hold up the standard of God uh, or they'll just become little worldlings. And so even part of it is, is the order in which he's, 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 you know, I mean, he's already said everybody's so on edge that anything that he might possibly say that might be palatable is lost. And so now I'll be honest, I wouldn't mind hearing a sermon on... Um, on what does grace-filled parenting look like? I mean, that was one of the things that was really great about having Elise Fitzpatrick here. She and her daughter Jessica, and um, and that is Christian parenting different from from the rest of the world. But what I heard from this guy is that it's not. It's just ride your kids really hard, enforce the discipline, all wrapped up in Christianity. But really, there's no difference in the way a child is raised in a Christian home versus a worldly home. David said in Peter's sermon, uh, God is for us, right? God is, God is with us and for us. And so what Jim is looking for, I think his name is Jim, what Jim's looking for, and Jim is a character. I mean, honestly, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how, how there's actually much worse preaching than this. At least most people can look at this and say, that's terrible. Uh, what worries me is when I hear a terrible sermon and people say, wasn't that great? <laughs> yeah, it's a, um, so everything that he's preaching, uh, is, it's up to you to respond. It's up to you to get your life together. So poor young Cox, back in, the, in his kingdom of the AV room, which is the funniest part. Um, Charles Gaston! Uh, this sound system! Um, your own kingdom! Uh, so... Um, he's got the technique. I mean, he's engaging. But um, but even then, uh, what 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 he would see is the fruit of the spirit in this guy's life. Is he even used the word submit? If you would just submit to me. Now let me tell you, anybody that's ever said, if you would just submit to me, like um, I've never said, oh okay, right? I've said, we'll see about that. <laughs> right? We'll see. I guarantee you that it was while that was going on. Young Cox immediately uploaded that to YouTube. <laughs> I guarantee it. I would put a whole lot of money that it was Cox in the AV room and the teenage hangout that put that up on YouTube. 
and, and he's the happiest man alive, and he did the right thing. So, uh, but any, any response is, well, what can you, you have to conform your life to me and to what I'm demanding of your life, not, not the demands of the Lord on your life or even the Holy Spirit working in your life to transform you. Because one of the things that we see in the book of Acts is you have these quivering, afraid men and women who, who think they might be next. And now all of a sudden they're preaching in front of thousands, in front of thousands, uh, with, with complete and total confidence, not in themselves, but in the Lord Jesus. And in the message, they, they have no message apart from Jesus to give these people. Peter never sat back and said, uh, he didn't even talk about himself. And like He's great sermon illustrations. I use them all the time. But Peter just told the story. Another thing that Peter does that uh, he didn't do intentionally, uh, I think is important in uh, making a, uh, a sermon good, is he used humor. Uh, he starts out, uh, let's start with verse 13, uh, well, 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, the speaking in tongues. What does this mean? But others mocked, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only ten in the morning. <laughs> right? That's a funny joke, because I, like, what if it were five in the afternoon? Like, what would he say then? Like, well, maybe. But right, he starts with a level of humor to sort of like, I mean... It, like, there are some things in the Bible that are meant to be funny, and this is one of them. And you could hear the roar of laughter in, in, uh, in the crowd when, when Peter said that. It's a funny joke. And he eases them into it. We're all of a sudden like, I, I feel like this, this guy might be worth listening to, regardless of, of what he has to say. I'm going to stop for a minute and say, um, at the Advent, we ask ourselves two questions before we, we preach um, a sermon. And those two questions are, uh, did Jesus have to die in order for me to preach this sermon? And the other is, was it good advice or good news? And um, I, I shared that once with a group of clergy, a mixed group. It wasn't, it wasn't Episcopal clergy. Uh, and uh, there had been a guy there who had been ordained about 30 years. Um, and um, and I do, we were talking about preaching, and I said, well, how do you all do preaching at the Advent? And I said, we're, we keep it to about the same length as Peter's sermon here in Acts. It was short enough, long enough for Peter. It's good enough for us, so that's the length. And I said, but, but we, we have a very definite message, and we want to be, have a laser beam approach. And so we asked the question, does Jesus have to die in order for me to preach what I'm preaching? And two, is it good news, or is it just good advice? And we talked for another 45 minutes, and this guy had been ordained about 30 years, said, um, I just want to go back to what Andrew said and um, because I've been thinking about it and I've never preached a sermon in which Jesus had to die in order for me to preach what I've, what I've preached. And um, I mean, I could have crawled under the table at, at that point because he's kind of looking at me and, uh, and they're looking at me. I'm like, it's not, it, call Frank Limehouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and it's not even Frank, but... But here's why we do this, because if it's good advice, you're just turning people on, in on themselves and saying, look, you just need to muster up the resources in order to get through life. But look, if that's it, if the church is just some sort of coping mechanism, 
you know, let's go play golf right now, right? I mean, I, I could have, let's have a mimosa, let's go to brunch, let's, let's, uh, you're wasting your, your time here. For if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain, right? And so what, and I make the joke about, uh, but it's true, in life, a lot of people, when they go to church, they want a swim coach, right? They want this guy who will give them some helpful hints for a living and say, you know, swim harder, uh, try a little bit harder, swim this way, do this, do that, work on your technique. Uh, and yet for those of us who know that we're caught in the riptide of sin, uh, we don't need a swim coach, we need a lifeguard to jump into the water and pull us out. A lifeguard who actually risks his own life in order to rescue us from the riptide of sin. Uh, I, I need a deliverer. One of the points I didn't necessarily make this morning, but um, praise God for, the, for Nathan the prophet in the life of David, who, who said, thou art the man. You remember the story. There was once a man who had a little sheep, a little lamb, and he loved this lamb, and a rich man came and killed it to feed it to a guest. That's the Reader's Digest version. And David was incensed, and he says, tell me who that is, and I'll take care of him. And the great King James translation, thou art the man. And David's heart was immediately grieved, and he said, I have sinned against God. Uh, but the thing about it is, is it's good to have friends like that, uh, but David knew that his rescue was not Nathan. His rescue was God, that God was the only one, someone from outside of the situation who could come in and, and rescue him. And if we're not putting forward a rescuer, if we're not putting forward uh, an answer, then, then we're in big trouble. I think a lot of preaching that happens in the world today, and I mentioned this last week, is that a lot of preachers are out there preaching answers to questions that people aren't asking. And, and they think that they know what the world thinks and what the world feels. And they might, I mean, look, I, I'll admit it, I read, I read The New Yorker, I read The Atlantic, now it's not the monthly anymore, but I read The Atlantic and I'll read The New York Times and things like that to kind of pick up on, on, on what's going on. Uh, but the things that jump out to me are the things I have a feeling jump out to you. And so when, uh, when I'm preaching, I'm thinking, well, what do I struggle with? What are, what are my issues? I, I, don't, I don't preach to anybody else because I think one of the things about sin is that we're all in the same boat. And it might manifest itself in a different way, but the bottom line is we all need somebody to save us from ourselves, right? To someone who actually has some objectivity and some perspective on our lives that I don't. I'm the panicky sheep who's just running like a nut, right? And, and yet I'm saying all is well. The other thing uh, that uh, Peter does that this guy does not do is that there's some transparency and some vulnerability, there's some transparency and vulnerability uh, in, in Peter's uh, uh, sermon. And uh, part of it is that um, Peter is not preaching uh, himself, but he's speaking the truth out of, a pro, uh, out of a place of great confidence, but at the same time knowing, and we can say this because we know Peter at this point, knowing that he's preaching to himself. Right? He's, he's preaching to himself. And what I find good in preaching is somebody who is able to be transparent, not inappropriate, right? Not, not you know, some people in life are, are floodlights and you're like, whoa, right? A little too bright, a little too much information. Uh, and yet uh, there, there's something that 
that connects in the in the preaching moment with someone who's willing to be a little bit honest about who they are, and that shows a tremendous amount of vulnerability. I don't think vulnerability describes our man John, Jim. Sorry, right? Uh, if anything, it's clearly what's about to happen. He's that close to having a complete and total nervous breakdown, <laughs> right? He's about to. I, at that point, I'd be like. Lauren, you don't have to be the fastest in the room. You just be, have to be faster than that guy right there. Let's go. Right, my dad growing up, he used to make fun of how slow I was, and when we'd go camping, he'd say, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than Andrew. Uh, so he's, he's very close to it, but clearly he's projecting. He's, what he's doing, he's overcompensating and thinking like, I'm a, I'm, and you notice he keeps saying over and over, I'm the real deal. I'm important. You need to listen to me. Right? I, I, and uh, so immediately, it, it's all about him. And he, because he is important, you ought to listen to him. When uh, John the Baptist's prayer is what? Lord, that I might decrease and that you might increase, that you might totally eclipse me. And so that the word that I preach... Uh, in the, in the pulpit at St. We have a, a little plaque here at, um, at the Advent that says, Woe be unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Wonderful. Uh, at St. Helena's, there's a little one that, and of course, the only the preachers can see these. There's one that says, Sir, that we might see Jesus. Right? And that's um, when, when the men come to Nathaniel and say, we, Sir, we would see Jesus. And he points them to Jesus. And so in the pulpit, a preacher ought to want you to see Jesus, not them. Now, there's definitely a personality in preaching. I mean, you can't separate the, you know, the preacher uh, from that and have them be totally pulled back from it. Phillips Brooks does a really good job of talking about that. Uh, but I think I've mentioned that one of the hardest things I'd ever heard said was I was preaching at a youth retreat, and this is a long time ago, and a mother was on the retreat as a chaperone, and she came up to me and she said, I want you to know um, how much my son has enjoyed your preaching. I said, oh, tell me more. Uh, and I said, well, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, and I said, well, well, what has he liked about it? And, and she said, well, uh, I'll ask him. And he came over and he said, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I really like the way you say it. <laughs> and I mean, I just about crumbled on the spot. That meant I was not doing my job. I was not doing my job. So what he walked away with is that guy is a good communicator, not a good preacher. All right, so I was pointing, I was pointing to myself. The other thing that you see in, um, in Peter's sermon as opposed to this is Peter has a very short sermon and he preaches the truth about who we are and the truth about God. He lays down the fact that he, said, he doesn't shy away from strong language. In fact, he mentions uh, Jesus Christ whom you crucified. Right? You, you are responsible for, for Jesus' death. Your sin held him to the cross. Uh, and, uh, but more actually not just uh, spiritually or theologically speaking, but that was literally true here. Remember, uh, Jesus stood for parish election once and didn't get a vote. Not one person voted for Jesus. They all voted for Barabbas, every last one of them. And those are the same people here. Right? They, they, this is, this is, uh, there, there were people in this crowd that were there that day when they yelled, crucify him. And, and Peter didn't shy away from that fact uh, and, and told them the truth about 
who and what and where they were, spiritually speaking. But in addition to that, he didn't leave it there. He didn't say, y'all are a mess. God bless. Um, uh, But talked about the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Yes, you're responsible, but this is what God has done for you. Uh, In spite of the fact that you rejected him, uh, God has not rejected you. And and the response to the sermon is, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the all-important question because this is what everybody asks regarding sermons. What now? What now? Where do I go from here? And here's where preaching goes south quickly. You can hear a really wonderful sermon, and this is where it can get insidious. You can hear a wonderful sermon that declares the promises of God in Jesus Christ, and then you get the question, what do I do now? And all of those promises can become obscured by this is what you do now. You start behaving in the audiovisual room. Uh, you, you start coming to church more. Uh, you... you uh, Let's just take kids as an example. So this guy, let's say that that uh, Betsy or Brooks or whatever her name, Jessica, Jessica, or whatever the girl's name was that he was picking on. Thankfully, they didn't zoom in on those people. That guy kept the camera right on him, and um, he said, "You know, your kids, your kids will turn on you." Well, let's just say that she has terrible, awful children, terrible children. She, like any of us, is asking. Well, what do I do with my kids? Well, what then do I do with my kids? Yes, you're right. My kids will turn on me because they turn on me all the time. They're terrible. They're out of control. I don't know what to do. And what he says is you've got to drop the hammer. You have got to absolutely drop the hammer. And you Now, there are times, like I'll say about my kids, I'm going to break you like a wild pony. Like I am totally going to, like, I mean, there are times where we just, we've got to talk about this. Uh, but... Uh, you know, the, the more you turn up the volume with your kids, and if all you're doing is hammering them away with the law, what's their response? Goodbye. And so what happens to Jessica? If she can't get her kids in order, she's either going to, one, just lie about it and be like, oh, things are really much better, Pastor Jim. Thanks so much. Or she's going to be like, eventually my kids are going to act out in church, and so I'm just never going to come to church again. I'm never going to come to church again because there must be something wrong with me, and I must not be a good Christian parent uh, because my kids are so bad. Now, what I'll say about that is just an aside. You always think, think that your kids are much more ill-behaved than anybody else's kids, right? There's a sensitivity issue. So, like, I'll see parents who, are, who they say, oh, I'm so sorry my kids are misbehaving. I'm like, I'd kill to have my kids behave like that. Like, that's a good day. So there's a little bit of a curve. But, but at the same time, um, instead of saying, um, your life is a mess, Your kids are little messes, but God is intervening in the situation and that what you need to do is to hold fast to him, who is the God and father of all, and look to him and lean not on your own understanding. Because if you think that you getting your kids to do the right thing is solely a matter of you making it happen, you got another thing coming. Right? That's why when we baptize here, uh, the answers to the baptismal questions are, I will... Right. If it was just I will, yeah, I got that covered. That's fine. I will. Because what we realize is 
I will with God's help is because without the intervention of God from the outside in the life of any of us, we would be far gone. And so, yes, we're faithful parents. We, we seek the Lord out. We, we seek to love our children and, and to bring them up in the way that they should go so that they'll love and serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, but it's not all about us. And that's not what she heard. Right? That's not what she heard. And so the question, what shall we do now, often gets turned back on the hearers. Now here's what you do. Here are the hints, the spiritual hints from Heloise. Peter's answer And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what did he do? What must we do? He just kept preaching the gospel. He just kept preaching what he had preached previously. The only admonishment that he gave them, the only exhortation, is repent and be baptized, right, out of obedience uh, to the Lord, but then continued to remind them of the promises of God that were for them and for their children. There was, now, there was no, well, now I challenge you, right? Anybody who said, ends a sermon with, I now challenge you, turn it off. They probably preached a really good sermon up to that point. But just, that's when you just get up and leave, right? If I ever say that, it's normally about to be a joke. Uh, but um, but, but that, that means that they're about to swipe away just the promise that they had given you. And um, it, it, it frightens me, um, and it's not a liberal or conservative thing, um, but that preaching nowadays... Um, I, I don't know how everyone talks about application. I don't know how anything could be more applicable than the gospel. And that's what I need to hear. I need someone to tell me uh, not just that it's all right, but it's all right because here's what's happening. There's a redeemer who has come. There's one who has come to rescue you uh, in the midst of of whatever it is that's just crushing you in life. Uh, There um, is a very vivid illustration of this. When we were at St. Helena's, there was a guy named Craig Vickerman who played rugby for the South African rugby team. He was not a small man, and he was the youth minister at St. Helena's, and he had uh, a baby, and for some reason, they had waited till she was about three years old, almost three, to baptize her, and so she got Craig's genes, unfortunately, and so she was way too big to hold and was not really, uh, and, and yet not tall enough to lean over the font to be baptized. And so Craig held her, and he was holding her in his arms, and we were going through the vows, and she was being very unruly and kicking. And we got to the part where it says, do you reject Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? And at that very moment, that child reached up and grabbed her father's neck and began to squeeze with their hands, and blood literally started to go down his neck. And Craig, with full throat and Focus said, I renounce them. Uh, it's a beautiful image um, that even in the midst of that, like he was, he was not like, that's the deal. That's life. Of course I renounce them because I have one who is stronger than even my strong-willed three-year-old who can even save me from this and can even change her heart uh, and conform it to his will and his likeness in spite of herself. And that, uh, that's the promise uh, to trust in. And that's, that's what preaching is, is all about. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. 
Not good advice, but good news. Questions, comments, concerns? Andrew, the, uh, the minister who said he had never preached a sermon where Jesus had to die, did he have any regret in his voice when he said that? He did. He just said, I mean, he said, I've never, never thought about it that way because his method of preaching is, um, is that church and sermons were primarily about giving you a little something to get you through the week to kind of charge your batteries. And church is that. I mean, if, if we're not charging your batteries a little bit, then, I mean, if it's boring, boring, then it's boring. But at the same time, what he was doing is like, what wise word can I impart to these people to make their lives a little bit easier um, and so it was just sort of help, like he just thought my job is to come up like a swim coach, kind of help them, help them along. So what he was preaching was not heresy. It was just good advice. You know, I know I hear discussions about personal relationship to God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've just been listening for a long time to that. Uh-huh. Can, can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it, is that you're actually able to relate to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. And, and without, without a mediator, um, that relationship's not, not possible. And so that, that was an earth-shattering and astounding thing that, that people would speak of God in, that la- in that, those terms uh, in this day and age, that you could actually have a personal relationship with God that he was, he was not far off. That's right. That's right. Indeed. Yes. Yeah, God answers. We may not always like his answer, but he answers. But we don't, we don't discuss that. I, mean, I just never hear any reference to that because I think that's what most people long for. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you hear me, God? Right. Yeah, a word of assurance. Yeah. Or the misunderstanding that God has let me down. I mean, how do you yeah. speak to someone that either blames God or has mm-hmm. felt that God didn't uh, went with him. Right. Time's up. Him. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is actually. Up. Yeah. I mean that God that God has has um, that God has has let me let me down. Um, I find it uh, well, I guess I mean to, when I hear normally people say that, this is normal and I my experience has been people who have said that were not really counting on God in the first place. But he was sort of the scapegoat, sort of things are this way because God is, is, is frowning uh, upon me. Um, so I, I would almost, all, and even a Christian who says, I really feel like God has, has let me down. Uh, but we need to talk about the nature of God and, and to turn them toward, toward that. And I think that one, because one of the things I can lack in life, generally speaking, is perspective. Luther called it the alien work of God. And so when things are not going well in life, um, often we say this is terrible. But in many instances, it, it might be actually one of the most profound, forming, positive things that has ever happened to you in, in your life. But I would have to know whatever it is that's going on in the person's life to be able to speak to, to that. But I'd like to hear more from them. I'd like to listen. Why do you think that God has let you down? Okay. Jerry, one last, very quickly. Mm. 
Right. Yeah, no, I know. Rather than, I guess what I would point to is rather than what did Jesus do, I would, I would, and even what did Jesus say, but what has Jesus done? What has he done for you? That, that, you always, you always point him back to the cross and what Jesus has done in his, in his words, it is finished. It's finished. It's, it's all, all the, the laws and the demands of the law have been fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus. You, you don't have to perform anymore. Uh, if, if, if we're left at what would Jesus do, and that's, that's, we're, we're in a heap of trouble. Okay. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.